This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 25 of Go To Grandma. I'm your host, Kathy Buckworth, and I am so grateful that you have stopped in to listen to our show today. Groundhog Day is coming up, and whether or not you care what the weasel has to say about the timing of spring, thanks to the movie starring Bill Murray, it's also come to symbolize living the same day over and over again, something I think we are all feeling as we go through pandemic times. While we can't do much to change the world in which we're living right now, besides getting vaccinated, what we can do is try to stop repeating behaviors we have gotten used to. Are you a Groundhog grandparent? I recently posted an article on kathybuckworth.com that talks about some of the habits we might want to break. Things like constantly comparing what your grandchild is doing to what their parent was doing at the same age. Spouting words of wisdom like, well, you turned out fine, every time you are criticized for using an outdated parenting strategy. And maybe we can start doing things like praising our kids for their parenting styles and strategies. It's so easy to feel that you are an inadequate parent, as we well know. Make them feel better, not worse. For the full article, you can go to the site and please leave a comment if you agree or disagree. Are you always late? Are your meeting manners up to scratch? Etiquette expert Julie Blake Homo is sick and tired of seeing the same old bad habits over and over again. And we're going to talk about what our top pet peeves are and how we can stop making other people crazy. If you listen to Toronto radio or watch daytime television, you know Taylor Kay. Taylor is a veteran radio announcer and DJ, family content creator, and is the mom of three tween and teen girls. Think that sounds like enough? She recently invited her in-laws to live with her as well. Virtual schooling, aging parents, full-time job, we're going to see how Taylor is juggling all of this and what she factored in before deciding to make her household multi-generational. How much do your grandkids understand about money? Beyond playing a game of Monopoly or Payday with them, which I recommend, do they understand how money works? Credit cards, debit cards, online transactions, GICs. What role can grandparents take in helping their grandkids get some financial literacy? That's the focus of our Take 5 with RBC segment today. Squeeze that orange juice and toast that toast. Sit back, relax, and laugh and learn, as always, on GoToGrandma. I'm Kathy Buckworth. Thanks for tuning in. Taylor Kay is a national radio and TV personality and online family content creator. She's mom to her three special Ks, who are in their tween and teens and has two fur baby labradoodles, Jesse and Jeff. When Taylor is not on TV or radio, you can find her running and shopping, most likely at the same time. Taylor Kay, you have taken the term sandwich generation and you have mushed it all up. You actually have a lot going on in your house with your three girls, your three kids, but you also have invited your in-laws to live with you. Tell me about that. Yeah, you know what? So we have my my father-in-law who just turned 87 and my mother-in-law who just recently turned 87. They were living with us for three and a half, almost four months. So, you know, just like, you know, as the population gets older 
they sometimes need surgery or something happens, and my father-in-law doesn't mind me sharing this, but he had to have oral surgery because he had cancer in his jaw. So mm-hmm. he had to go to a, a major, he's from a smaller town, and he had to go to a hospital, and we're in a bigger city. So we had signed him up because we thought, okay, if everything goes well, he'll need to recover, and there are some you know, senior homes that you can do, like respite care or whatever, for a month so you can you know, be taken care of there, he'd be close by, his wife could be there, and then, because there's going to be, there's going to be multiple appointments, but after the surgery, the uh, senior home care provider that we had hired and, and the home said, sorry, he doesn't have any teeth, we forgot to tell you that, we won't be able to take him. Oh my goodness. So that's why he ended up moving in with us, and his wife wanted, and my mother-in-law, uh, I call the mom and dad. She wanted to stay with us as well, but she would go back and forth between the home because she has dementia and cancer as well. And there is only so much because my husband and I, we were, and I will say my husband, was feeding his father. Like, just like you'd feed a baby or toddler back in the day with no teeth, making sure things are mushed up because his one side of his jaw was put back together again. We call him Humpty Dumpty. He was put back together again. And <laughs> if you look at him, it doesn't look like, I mean, this is how amazing our medical doctors are here in Canada. Um, and I know, you know, for people listening to the U.S. because it's podcast, but we do have amazing medical doctors here. And it was all taken care of. And he's living at 87, went through a 12-hour surgery. But he was living with us, too, for the longest time. Wow, that's a lot, especially when both of your in-laws are going through their own challenges. That's a lot for you to take on. And meanwhile, what's happening already in the K household is you have three daughters. How old are they? They're 14, uh, one just turned 12, and 10. So they're tweens and teens. And you can imagine, like, (laughs) a teenager who's in grade 9 in a pandemic, hasn't seen her friends in a while. At one point, we were allowing people in the house, but then we had to be careful because uh, we didn't want our father-in-law because he was immune compromised so we had bubbled with a couple of families that we felt safe with but you know no one really teenagers or even me I don't it was like we were turned into a medical facility we had nurses and caregivers that helped us along the way for sure um, because my in-laws had budgeted thank goodness for something like this if something was to happen later in life so they were able to have some caregivers help us but again it's 24 hours a day we didn't have 24-hour care it was us It was you. What do you wish you knew, Taylor, before taking this on? I'm sure a lot of our listeners might be facing, you know, similar situations in terms of needing medical care, not having other people in the house, already dealing with young children, young children, et cetera. So what do you wish someone had said to you before you took this on? I think it's sitting down with your family members when they're healthy, you know, and I'm having Mm -hmm. that conversation with my mother right now because she saw what we were going through. My mother took care of my father in the home, but we were grown kids, so we didn't really see all that went on. But now I'm sitting with my mom saying, if this was to happen, um, you know, how are your finances? Um, Can we have, you know, how many hours uh, a day can we have a caregiver? Who can be in charge? Because my my, uh, husband did have two other brothers, but they lived you know, far away, so they couldn't assist. They tried as much as they can, but when family members are living all over the place, it usually falls on one family member. And not to say it should, but one person should be in control of the medical information. I would say that um, I wish that we went in from the beginning. I wish my husband was there from the beginning because there was some, you know, broken telephone moments as well with doctors. We didn't know how severe this we thought, oh, they're just going to take out a piece of, you know, a couple of teeth. 
No, it right. was pretty serious. So I would say to people, like, sit down with your, it, and it's uncomfortable conversations for sure. Some mm-hmm. parents will want to talk about finances, and you have to have those conversations. I think that's great advice. Yeah, that, that, first of all, you're right, the financial considerations, and that will drive a lot of the other decisions, right? Right, in terms of who, who can care, what kind of care can you hire? And I 100% agree with you, you need someone to be like a team leader almost, right? And you're right, traditionally it falls on someone who might live physically closest to the parents that are going through that. And speaking of physical closeness, how do you make sure your kids are not affected by all of this that's going on? Do you have lots of conversations with them about, you know, what's happening with their grandma and granddad? Yes, we we sat down with the kids to explain what was going to happen. Unfortunately, my youngest, she lost her bedroom. It's not like we have that's the other thing. Like, you know, a lot of people have these in-law suites, and we didn't have an in-law suite. We have, you know, bedrooms for the kids that, you know, when grandma and grandpa come by, that also becomes a guest room. But my daughter's room wasn't a guest room for a weekend. It was a guest room for months, right? So Yeah, that's a lot. That was a lot for her to take on. I think, you know, we, we did offer up therapy as well. Um, my teenager has gone into it, you know, because mommy drives her crazy sometimes. I get it. And I'm a full believer. <laughs> I have no idea what that's like, Taylor. No idea what it's like driving teenage daughters crazy. No clue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, I, I talked to them about that too, saying if you don't want to talk to mommy or daddy. And we'd have, we'd have family meetings. I'd also, you know, have specific kind of date nights for them out of the house where we had uh, caregivers and it's again we didn't have the fine it's you know, it's not like we had a ton of finances but there was money put aside and also the government does allow for a little bit of care as well not a lot but we did take advantage of that and we would take the kids out of the ha- house away from essentially it was a hospital in our house um, all the time that's a great idea making sure that you have that still that family time that your family unit still can have fun together in a sense right yeah Exactly. Yeah. And they had fun. Really important. And when their grandfather was getting better, they were having fun. And, you know, he, again, he had no teeth and he still has no teeth. And But he's alive and well. And I mean, for a guy in his 80s to go through a major surgery like that and, and a lot of family members, you know, also I know a lot of people have taken in their grandparents because they don't want them in mm-hmm. uh, long-term care facilities. So I can understand a lot of people are doing that. And uh, kudos to them for doing that because it's a lot of work with full-time jobs, kids. It sure is. We really appreciate you sharing your story, Taylor. And I wish nothing but the best, of course, for your in-laws as well as you. And and if we want to find more about Taylor, we can go to Taylor K. That's T-A-Y-L-O-R-K-A-Y-E dot com. Or you're all over social media, Taylor, at Taylor underscore K on Twitter, the Taylor K on Instagram and underscore at the Taylor K on Facebook. If you Google Taylor K, you will find this woman and her fascinating stories. And we loved seeing you on television and radio. Thank you so much for joining me today, Taylor. Thank you. Julie Blake Homo is Canada's go-to etiquette expert, an energizing speaker and a sought-after media collaborator. She is Chief Etiquette Officer and founder of EtiquetteJulie.com, a training and development firm dedicated to teaching poise, polish, and professionalism to enhance the interpersonal skills, brand, and image of employees of all levels. Julie is also the author of four books, including Etiquette, Confidence, and Credibility. Julie, good morning. I have been talking a bit today about Groundhog Day, because this show is going to air just a couple of days before, and I know that there are bad manners that we repeat over and over and over again. And I'm a little bit concerned that maybe I'm role modeling bad things for my grandkids. So I want to get into some of them with you today. I'm ready. 
You're right. You're my etiquette expert. You're going to help me out with this. My number one complaint is people People who are late. And I'm not a late person. But sometimes my grandkids, you know, they might or my kids might see me react to people who are late. So how do we balance this out? Well, first of all, Kathy, I don't know if it's the case for you, but I'm sure some of our listeners, as they're walking the dog in the car, wherever they're listening to us today, are going to agree with me with the next statement. Those people in your world, family members, colleagues, clients, that were late before the pandemic and it was always traffic. Now they're working from <laughs> home. Guess what? They are still late. And, you know, there used to be once upon a time, and maybe I'm starting to show my age, where you would see on a resume, I've been an HR manager, punctuality. But yes. it's still in style in 2022. And you know what, grandmas, grandpas, even the little ones in your family, when there's a gathering, even if it's a small gathering of 10 people, and we're all sitting around, we're all prettied up, and we're waiting for auntie or uncle or cousin or whatever, they'll say, ah, they're always late. <laughs> you have some of those in your family. And it's just how it is. And for a moment here, let's just stop and think. One of my most popular workshops these days is about cultural intelligence and mm. punctuality. It's something that's cultural. It is. We had an appointment today at this time. And in Canada, generally speaking, in North America, on time is on time. And if we moved over to some other parts of the world, Germany, oh, my God, everybody would have been ready five minutes before. Um, Mm -hmm. Within some companies, a meeting that starts at 11 o'clock means that we're going to get to it probably by 11.10 even though there are no more muffins or coffees to be had. (laughs) So punctuality is something that is cultural, something that we all definitely model in our families. And when you look at your grandchildren, maybe their parents are punctual. Uh, Maybe others in the family are not, but it's certainly something that is modeled, something that is learned, because when we talk about culture, it's about our beliefs within our families, within our communities. Absolutely. It comes down to, to values, really, and saying that I value your time and you, you value my time. And let, let's make an agreement that we are going to try to come together on this, even though culturally we might be coming from different places. And hopefully our grandkids can see us coming to some sort of resolution. We won't get as mad, maybe, or they'll try really hard to be on time. Yes. Yeah. And it's about respect. And it's about knowing your people. It's Mm -hmm. about knowing your people. So if you're going to be serving a beef wellington, and this happened to me, Kathy, believe it or not, I was serving beef wellington. And those of us that are cooks and that love beef wellington know that you serve it to be perfect, to be pinkish red in my face in the middle and crispy on the outside. And guess what? I had a guest that was in a tennis tournament, and they came an hour Right. Yeah, not acceptable. Not, <laughs> not acceptable. In retrospect, <laughs> I should have told them that dinner will be served at. Not come right. over for this time. Dinner will be served 
at this time. So based upon the behaviors and the, mm-hmm. the beliefs that you are noticing in your guests, you're going to adapt. In business, though, in business, though, if somebody is late, and let's say we start 10 minutes later, you're going to reiterate. So we're together here. Uh, we're going to finish our meeting at noon. I have another appointment after that. So I just want to make sure that we stay on target and you have my word that we will finish at noon. So it is what it is if there's just 20 minutes left. That's a good idea to set an end time, especially, as you say, in a meeting. I did want to talk about dining manners because this is a big thing. Obviously, a lot of the times we get together with our grandkids, it is around a meal. So, you know, we want everyone to make sure that we're following sort of the same sort of rule. He's not jumping up and down. You're not coming in late and just said. So how do we sort of role model that sort of behavior for our grandkids? Well, here too, it's it's cultural. What's happening in your family? Does mm-hmm. you know? Does everybody eat together? Everybody at the same time? There could be differences when you're hosting, depending upon what you're hosting. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a host, as a hostess, if you're serving soup or a cream of something or something that needs to be served hot, a steak. Uh, most of us don't have like a barbecue that will allow ten steaks to be ready at the same time. Not even six that are ready at the same time. So when that steak comes on one of your guests' plate, and one would suspect that you would serve yourself last, that your steak would come off the grill last, as a host, as a hostess, encourage your guests, please go ahead and start while it's hot. Please go ahead and start while it's hot. You know, that's important. Also, for the little ones, we know that the little ones, depending on the age group, have grandmas, have grandpas. There are bags of tricks. Maybe the table is just, you know, you get those big rolls of paper, kind of like a butcher's block, mm-hmm. put it on the table. And it's going to be more of a casual meal. And there are crayons in the middle of the table. So while the children are ready, waiting, they could be playing tic-tac-toe. They could be drawing. You could be engaging them in different things. There could be topics of conversation that are at the center of the table in a basket. What's your favorite movie lately? Applies to adults, grandma, grandpa. Little one, yeah, everyone. So keep people, you know, keep them busy at the table. And the one last thing we're going to cover super quickly is I really hate it when someone forces me to look at videos or photos on their phone. I can probably be guilty of it with my grandkids. How do you casually back out of that? In about 30 seconds or less, how do we say, I'm not interested in watching that right now? Uh, Depends on the consequences. You have to evaluate that relationship. That relationship. Think about it, Kathy. If it's mother-in-law going on and on and reminiscing, you want to see every single one. So think about the consequences. Make a decision and get back. Get back to time. Oh, you know, I'm really pressed for time today. Just show me the top ones. I've got to go in about 10 minutes. So, again, it's about setting expectations. And I love that waiting. I love consequences. That. I was gonna say I love that loop that we just came back to. I'm gonna be late, so I have to go. So if we want more information on etiquette, we can go to etiquettejulie.com. You are all over social media at etiquette Julie. I really appreciate our chat today. Thanks, Julie. Always great speaking with you. Take good care, Cassie. Take care. Thank you. 
In her day job, Rachel Meggett works at RBC as Senior Director Product Management for Term Investments and Savings. In that role, Rachel leads client-focused product innovation and strategy for investments that are likely familiar to many of you, GICs. Her passion, however, is promoting financial education, particularly for young women in high school, to help them learn about opportunities for women in finance through a career networking program Rachel created called Ladies Who Lunch. And this leads into my first question. Rachel, you've got me thinking that once we've been able to get back to in-person get-togethers, we should start up Grandparents Who Lunch as a way to network and share financial learnings. But for now, this is virtually through our program today. The financial education you're here to talk about is near and dear to my heart, helping our grandchildren become more financially literate. The discussions I hear about this topic tend to be directed towards parents. What is the role you see grandparents playing in helping grandchildren to better understand money? Well, I love that. And I have to say, grandparents who lunch, that sounds just like an amazing conversation to be had and an amazing event that I would love to be able to participate in one day. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to keep our fingers crossed that it's sooner rather than later. Exactly. One thing that I think is so relevant around financial literacy is really it's a role that everyone can partake in with respect to helping support our children in their journeys, in navigating what it is to be financially literate, excuse me, and also what it means to be financially healthy. And I think that from a grandparent perspective, that's a conversation that can take place through the stories of your experiences that you share with your grandchildren. It can be something that is interwoven in the conversation in a subtle way, but that those are the lessons that take root with our children and ultimately are the ones that will lead them towards that financially healthy future. I agree. And, you know, we're reaching the point now where our grandchildren may cash looks like, you know, we're using debit cards, we're online, it's credit cards, it's everything we buy. Like, how do you feel about that? And what can we do to help overcome that? I think it's a really interesting point, because I think when we have cash in our pockets and we go to spend it, we're acutely aware of how much we have at our disposal relative to what we can buy with it versus what we can spend. And I think that that's a challenge that we seek to overcome when we use our debit cards and our credit cards. And there is a distinction in terms of using either one of those two financial devices. And I think one of the true important elements, excuse me, of financial literacy is really understanding the distinction of what it is to use a debit card and what it means to spend the money that's in your bank account relative to using a credit card. So I think it's, it anchors and reiterates the importance of being financially literate, but it also changes the conversation relative to when we were using cash and we had that physical attribute in our hands that we would hand over to the store clerk when purchasing something. I agree. And, you know, I, I referenced in my intro to the show that um, payday or Monopoly games like that when kids are very young. You, and I know now Monopoly, I think you can get like, a, it's like, a, you know, an online sort of version of it to payment. And I'm like, no, let's use, let's go back to the paper bills, right? So they can really see what they're paying. Um, so there's ways you're right that we can incorporate the idea of ending earning into our everyday conversations with our grandkids. And I think Kathy, what you're saying, though, using both of those games, they provide different lessons equally valuable. 
Right? Mm-hmm. So you want to play the monopoly with the paper money because then it also becomes about financial literacy as much as it does math because you're forced to do the math right. in your head of the subtraction, the um, addition. Whereas when you have that debit machine, that math, especially the monopoly game, is, is effectively done for you. But it does teach children through a really fun and competitive game yep. the value of using both of those outlets. Yeah, great advice. And I mentioned earlier that your working world focuses on GICs. Now, that's the type of investments many of my listeners are likely familiar with, but how would these relate to grandchildren? Ooh, I think in such a powerful way, to be honest, and especially if we think through the financial literacy component. When we think of GICs or guaranteed investment certificates, they're a, they're a relatively low-risk investment. And what it really affords the opportunity to teach is the value of accruing interest. And what you can do by actually putting your money in an investment vehicle and yielding more and greater returns at the end of a predefined period. And especially because of the low-risk profile of a GIC, it becomes a phenomenal learning opportunity and a really powerful tool to teach our children, our grandchildren, about financial literacy. And it's almost a progressive opportunity from putting money into a savings account, whereby you will get interest with your money in your your bank account. But if you invest it in a GIC, you're able to eke out greater returns. You do have to be more patient because Mm -hmm. you have put your money in that vehicle for a specified period of time. But in terms of the financial literacy and the return profile, there are so many lessons that we can eke out of that investment vehicle. It's really quite powerful. And again, it becomes something that becomes a conversation with your grandchildren in terms of tracking their their over time and also discussing with them what it is they might want to do with that money once it becomes available to them, as opposed to sometimes the immediacy we see of spend today, whereby you can order something online, it's delivered the next day, you don't really have to wait. Whereas here, there's the anticipation, there's the build. And so I think it really affords that investment in a GIC, the conversation around financial literacy, the incremental rewards, and then what you're going to do with it once you have seen your money working for you in that investment vehicle. I love that. And if we want more information, uh, we can go to www.rbcroyalbank.com slash investments slash gics.html. And all of our information is there. Thank you so much for joining me today, Rachel. That was really helpful. Thank you, Kathy, for having me. It was an absolute pleasure. Take care. It's tough to embrace the new year, new you philosophy entirely right now, but maybe by February we can change just a few things we know we need to. You need to affect change to have change. I've started a 30-day yoga challenge on top of my weight training and running. We'll see how that goes. Please note, I am neither zen-like nor very flexible at the time of writing. Changing things up next week, and I'm so excited that we have granddad of three and news legend Peter Mansbridge on the show to talk about not only his new book, Off the Record, but I'm also going to ask him his views on sharing the news with our kids and grandkids all the time. Do they need to know everything that's going on in the world? I'm going to ask this self-titled Grampy. Our grandkids have a lot to deal with right now. And one additional thing your grandkids might be dealing with is their parents separating or divorcing. Kelly Boss is a psychotherapist focusing on individual, marriage, and family relationships. She's going to help grandparents help their grandkids process divorce and separation. Our Take 5 with RBC seared all about a second act, which includes stewarding, mentoring, coaching, and grandparenting all in one. 
Thanks for listening this week, whether on Zoomer Radio or via podcast. Please tell your friends about the show and let me know what topics you really enjoyed hearing about. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter at Kathy Buckworth or email her Kathy at KathyBuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.